Thank you, Luke, for reading uh, that passage for us in Luke 19, 1 to 10. So keep your fingers there. I've entitled the message this morning, Receiving Him Joyfully. And as we examine this account of Zacchaeus in Luke's gospel, I would like for us to notice five particular steps or aspects to Zacchaeus's conversion. Five aspects which I believe are an integral part in the lives of all believers. We have in this account an example of biblical regeneration and all the hallmarks of true and genuine conversion. So often today we see and hear of countless testimonies of young people being saved or coming to Christ, and then only a short time later to discover that they were not really saved that their lives have not changed, that they live no differently now than they did before when they professed Christ as Savior. So what has gone wrong? Why do so many seemingly profess Christ and then fall away? Could the problem be with the evangelism rather than with the evangelized? Perhaps we might gain some insight into this dilemma by a closer examination of this very simple account of the Savior coming to the house of Zacchaeus to seek and to save that which was lost. We start off by reading in verse 1 of Luke 19 that Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now the city of Jericho, recorded here in the New Testament, was about 15 miles northeast of the city of Jerusalem. Two other accounts or incidences were previously connected with this city in the Gospel of Luke. That is, the story of the Good Samaritan, Luke 10, verses 30 to 37, and the healing of the blind man by Jesus in the previous chapter, Luke 18, 35 to 43. This, then, is not the first time that the Savior passed through this town. He had been here before, and he was not a stranger to these parts of the woods, so to speak. And as a result, when he arrived, a great throng of people surrounded him, some hoping to be healed, others to be taught, still others just out of curiosity hoping to get a better look at this Jesus. Zacchaeus was among the latter. So the first thing that I would like for us to look at this morning is the condition of Zacchaeus. The condition of Zacchaeus. We are told at least four things about Zacchaeus. Verse 2, he was chief among the publicans. That is, he was a tax collector. And he was a chief tax collector, which meant he oversaw the collecting of taxes. He had others under him doing the actual collecting while he most likely governed the procedure and held the office of chief publican. No one admired a publican. He was looked upon as a traitor to his own people. The Jews hated the imperial government of Rome and they hated to be taxed by it. Most often, the tax collector bought his position. For such positions or offices were often sold by Rome to the highest bidder. 
Afterwards, the tax collector was able to reimburse himself quite generously through the levy of taxes. And there were taxes for everything, such as the poll tax, which had to be paid by every male over 14 years of age and every female over the age of 12. There were land taxes, import taxes, export taxes, road taxes, bridge taxes, market taxes, and so on. A tax collector, if he were honest, could make a very good living. But if he were a rogue or a scoundrel, he could become very wealthy by oppressing and exploiting his own people. Secondly, in that same verse, we are told that Zacchaeus was rich. His wealth came from the collection of such taxes. He in most likelihood abused his position by drawing out more than the required amount from the people. We can well understand why his own people detested him. Thirdly, we are told that he was of little stature in verse 3. He was short. He could not see over the shoulders of the people in front of him. He could not see Jesus as he passed through the streets of Jericho. And so it was for this reason that Zacchaeus ran before the crowd and climbed into the sycamore tree to get a better look at Jesus as he passed by. And fourthly, we are told the most important thing about Zacchaeus, that he was a man, and as a man he was a sinner, and as a sinner he was separated from God. He fell short of the glory of God. Like all sinners, Zacchaeus needed a savior. Romans 3, 10, 11 tells us, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. And then in Romans 3, 23, we read, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But what a wonderful day this would be for Zacchaeus, because only the one who could take away the sins of the world had come his way this particular day. And this man was called Jesus, and he was passing through Jericho. He was passing through Jericho for a reason. He was on his way to Calvary. Though I hazard a guess that not many understood this fact at the time that Christ Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And as Jesus passed through, he knew Zacchaeus, and he sought him out. But Zacchaeus, because of his stature, could not clearly see Jesus past the crowd. So he overcame his handicap by climbing up into a sycamore tree. He desperately wanted to see Jesus. Zacchaeus was curious, and I'm sure he had heard many of the stories about Jesus before Jesus came to Jericho, for his fame was voiced abroad. I'm sure he had heard of the accounts of how Jesus walked on water, how he stilled the winds and the seas, how he raised people from the dead, how he had power over unclean spirits and cast them out. These kinds of stories, I'm sure, Zacchaeus had heard. And now, 
the one who did all of these things was passing through Jericho. And so Zacchaeus was interested. He wanted to know more. And where better to see Jesus but from a sycamore tree along the road? Now, a sycamore tree was a very sturdy tree, had thick leaves, edible fig-like fruit. It would hide him well, but at the same time afford him a good view. Zacchaeus was the man in the tree looking down at the man who would only hours later hang on another tree, the tree of Calvary. That brings us to another tree a long, long time ago. That tree was in the Garden of Eden. It was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there was also a man there under that tree, a man who, though created in perfection, in the image and glory of God, sinned. He disobeyed the Creator who made him. He took of the forbidden fruit, and as a result, sin entered the human race and began to take its toll. Adam was that first man under the forbidden tree, and as a result of that sin, God declared the whole human race under sin. Romans 5.19 tells us, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And Jesus was the man by whom all sinners would be made righteous. He was the perfect man and perfectly God at the same time. Oh, but some may say, how can he be God and man at the same time. That is such a difficult concept. I cannot take it in. Well, I say to those people, the Bible has many a wondrous things in it. Many things that are sin-ruined minds have trouble understanding, such as God always existing, having no beginning, having no ending. God is sovereign. He sees the end from the beginning, and nothing escapes his eye. He creates simply by speaking things into existence. He fulfills all his promises literally in his own time. And he, out of love, sent his only begotten Son to die on the cross of Calvary in our place for our sins. And I say to those people who don't believe, because they come from the very, we believe it, because they come from the very mouth of God himself, who cannot die, who cannot lie. Yes, Zacchaeus climbed the sycamore tree to see Jesus. And when Jesus came to that place, verse 5, he looked up and he saw him and he said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste. And come down, for today I must abide at thy house. Now we come to the second most interesting point in the message. The conviction of Zacchaeus. The conviction of Zacchaeus. I want for us to notice that the Lord stopped 
and looked up at Zacchaeus and spoke to him. Do you see the immensity of this situation? The Lord spoke to Zacchaeus. It was both a wonderful and a dreadful thing when the Lord speaks to us. On the one hand, when the Lord speaks to us, it is a wonderful thing that God should condescend to us from heaven's gate to us, sinners, a speck of dust, a drop in the ocean, a worm. That God should take notice of us is too wonderful to fathom. That he who created this magnificent universe should take personal care to separate us from the rest of humanity. It is too wonderful, too vast to comprehend that the one who is holy, undefiled, who sent his only beloved son to the cruel cross of Calvary to punish him for your sins and my sins, should actually speak to us. Why? Because he wishes to extend his mercy to us to reconcile us back to himself, to bring us peace by his grace, which is a gift of God. And it is out of love that he does all this, for he wishes none to perish. But on the other hand, it is a dreadful thing when God speaks to the sinner. It is a dreadful thing because this is the one who is God Almighty the God of righteousness and judgment. He is the one who in righteous indignation called fire down from heaven and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. This is the same Jehovah God who destroyed his people Israel after 40 years in the desert because of unbelief. It is the same Lord who destroyed the world by the flood because of sin. And this is the same Lord who will sit on the great white throne judgment seat at the close of history to judge all the lost. All the Christ-rejecting sinners of this world to an eternity without God in the burning lake of fire. This one is God. God who will not tolerate the sin of trampling underfoot the grace of God the sin of refusing refusing God's gift of salvation through the only begotten Son of God. Oh, dear sinner, it is a dreadful thing to fall under the chastisement of the Lord, even as a child of God whom he loveth and correcteth. Yes, whether the Lord speaks to the sinner through his word or through his convicting spirit, it is both wonderful and dreadful at the same time. And so when Jesus spoke to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was convicted. And having been convicted, he responded. But he responded obediently. He chose to obey the Savior. He came down from the tree immediately, which now brings us to the third point in our message for this morning, the choice of Zacchaeus, the choice Zacchaeus made a choice. He chose to obey the Lord. He could have very easily chosen the opposite. 
He could have chosen to disobey, to not come down from the tree. But you may say, but brother, how can Zacchaeus have refused to come down? This was the Lord Jesus speaking to him. How could he have refused? And my answer is he could have refused the same way as Israel refused for generations before Zacchaeus. Israel, that stiff-necked people who witnessed the power and presence of Jehovah God in their midst for 40 years, still rebelled and never did get to enter the promised land. Only their children and Joshua and Caleb were spared. Zacchaeus could have refused to hearken unto the Lord the same way as many Christians today refuse to obey the Lord. They read his words and his commandments clearly in the Bible, and the Holy Spirit convicts of sin in their lives, and they still turn their backs on him and refuse to obey. But Zacchaeus obeyed. He came down quickly, the scripture says, and he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Verse 6. Zacchaeus received the Lord joyfully. Oh, beloved, that is a lovely verse. Zacchaeus received him joyfully. That is the only way the Lord wishes to be received, joyfully. Not with hesitation, not with reservation, not with doubt, but joyfully. Not only did Zacchaeus receive the Lord joyfully into his house and made him a guest, but Zacchaeus received him into his heart as his Savior and Lord as well. This brings us to the fourth point in our message, the conversion of Zacchaeus, the conversion of Zacchaeus. A very special work of grace took place between verses 6 and 8. This was the quiet time alone with the Lord. Zacchaeus was alone with our Savior. The rest of the world was shut out. No one saw grace at work in the heart of this publican. This was that private time between the Savior and the sinner. This is that time when all sinners discover the preciousness of that amazing grace that saved the wretch like me. It was in those quiet moments that both the heart and the eyes of Zacchaeus were made to open, and those dreadful sins that separated Zacchaeus from the Lord were washed away as he trusted his Savior. It was here that Zacchaeus saw for the first time why Christ came into this world to save his people from their sins. In this private and personal confrontation with the living God, when no other distractions were permitted, Zacchaeus understood what it meant, ye must be born again. By the grace of God, Zacchaeus discovered that on his own, he could never hope to please God by his good works. Neither could he ever hope to keep the law. For if his thoughts were evil, then that was sin itself. That was transgression against God, against the holiness of our Savior. 
against his perfect and righteous standards. No man could stand before God in his own merits. And as these thoughts sank deep into his soul, Zacchaeus realized that there was no hope for him. Without a savior, he was lost. But there was one sitting in his midst, right in his very own home. This man, Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. He came to save Zacchaeus. And as the conversation continued, tears of joy began to flow down the sinner's cheeks as he listened to the love of God to be expressed only hours later at the cross of Calvary. How his heart rejoiced when he realized that the promise made to Abraham way back in Genesis 22:8, when Abraham said to Isaac, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering, was about to be fulfilled right before his very eyes. It was there and then that Zacchaeus loved the Savior and gave his life to him. No more condemnation, no more fear. Zacchaeus had passed from death onto life. And finally, the fifth uh, point in our message today is entitled The Commitment of Zacchaeus, The Commitment of Zacchaeus. If it be true conversion, then there must be commitment. So many today profess conversion, but it is a shallow conversion because there is no change in lifestyle. There is no change in attitude. There is no change in direction. True conversion always brings with it commitment to the Savior and to his word. The Apostle Paul demonstrates the brightest example of such a commitment. Remember the road to, to, uh, to uh, Damascus. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Acts 9, 6. Paul's life was no longer his own from that moment on. And from that moment of conversion, Paul served the Lord obediently. There must be conviction after conversion. Coming back to our text, we read in verse 8, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Zacchaeus speaks directly to the Lord when he says this, not to the crowd. His wealth was not important to him anymore for he had discovered a wealth far greater than silver and gold. And so he promises to give to the poor and to make restitution fourfold to any man whom he has <coughs> defrauded. Now this was over and above what the law required in Israel for restitution. No man can part with his wealth this quickly unless a genuine work of regeneration has truly taken place. And for a certainty, a work of regeneration had indeed taken place. 
for the Savior himself states in verses 9 and 10, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Yes, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Even today, that lovely one, seated on the right hand of God the Father, once called the Son of Man, is still seeking the lost and is prepared to save them to the uttermost even today. Perhaps there are some who have never experienced true biblical conversion. Perhaps they have just gone with the flow. Perhaps they may have been blessed to have been born into a Christian home and with godly parents, but have never themselves secretly met with the Savior. And perhaps they hear his voice calling to them today, Come on to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 But perhaps they may be thinking, I would like to come, but I don't know how. Where is he that I might come? What must I do? And my answer to them is, listen carefully. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. John 6, 47. And for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16 And as I have vowed to the Lord, once I got saved, that every opportunity I had to preach or teach the word of God, I would always make the way of salvation clear. And so you know what I am going to ask today. Won't you receive the blessed Savior joyfully today if you haven't done so already? For he and he alone can satisfy the emptiness of our soul and the desires of our hearts. He alone has the power to forgive us of all our sins and give us new life in him as he keeps us day by day. And if perhaps you're not certain if you have received him as Savior and Lord, then why not ask him today? And if you are not committed to him as you ought to be and to his word, why not in your heart recommit yourself to that goal right now. And if you realize that your walk is not what it should be, won't you ask him to forgive you 
and to enable you by his grace to walk more closely with him from now on. Be like Zacchaeus, who received him joyfully, and then the joy of the Lord will indeed be your strength. And if you are enjoying a close and a precious walk with the Savior, then give him thanks and bless his holy name as you praise him for his mercy and grace to you each day. Let's pray. Father, we thank thee so much for this precious story of Zacchaeus receiving the Lord joyfully. And Lord, as we read this story carefully, many of us can see ourselves in the place of Zacchaeus, remembering how precious that moment was when we first believed and received Christ as our Savior and Lord. And so, Father, we pray that Thou wilt strengthen us each day. We're living in very, very difficult, trying and testing times. We pray Thee to draw us closer to Thyself each day, that we might trust our Savior more and more as the days progress. Again, Father, we ask Thee now to Part us with thy blessings, and if the Lord be not come, may it please thee to bring us together around his table next Lord's Day once again. For we do always ask all these things in the name of our blessed Savior and for his glory. Amen.